All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Hoping to talk to Nate Tice over wow. at The Athletic, former Wisconsin quarterback, uh, former coach, guy we've known pretty well around here, has done a great job scouting and, and talking about quarterbacks. I saw he put out a mock draft recently, and he's been a guy that has been talking about Drake May at North Carolina in the light that I believed he was always going to be talked about coming up here in March, which is as the potential number one overall pick over Caleb Williams, who's been presumptively that guy for a really long time now. Want to talk to him about that. Michael Penix Jr. and what his pro prospects were going into the game this weekend in the Sugar Bowl and how much this could or should actually move the needle in terms of what we saw in the C.J. Stroud vein from last year in Ohio State. I think it's fascinating the sort of stock market indexing that we can do with quarterbacks, especially as we get ready to go into the silly season that comes once the shoulder pads and helmets are all put on the shelf and we start trying to digest these guys as prospects and look at them. Because I always tell people, it's very different to watch college football tape trying to figure out which team is going to win the game, what they do well, how this plays in the context of the college game, and then have to do the filter in your head that's different and saying, all right, well, how does this translate now? What are these yep. things that are actually going to matter when it comes to the next level? So hopefully we will get Nate here shortly to talk about that. But we have been absolutely wrecked inside this show by the story about the wedding mullet uh for anyone that missed it in the first hour of the show when we were talking about it with charlotte wilder a reddit poster on the subreddit am i the a-hole posted that he debuted a new haircut a mullet on his instagram in the lead up to one of his buddy's weddings he is the best man in that wedding he said he was excited about going he's got the speech ready all that and that the bride messaged him after that photo went up basically making it clear he should not have that haircut for the wedding and the debate ensued it's raged off air here and all i'll say is this because i i can speak from a little bit of personal experience on this my good friend kyle rudolph who's been on this show him and his wife jordan who i've known since we were all freshmen in college they got married a, a while back years ago now when i we were just i think it was like 2014 or 2015 and i was just coming off trying to play football i had lost some of the weight but 
I had a gigantic hairy caveman beard going into that wedding, as did a couple of our other buddies. And I was uh, one of the ushers in that wedding. And so I was, you know, tangentially in the wedding party enough still to be around and be in some pictures. And I look back years later and every time I've seen Jordan and seen a picture from that wedding, I apologize because I looked like garbage. <laughs> and as someone who wore long hair when I got to college because I wasn't allowed to have it in high school, along with a bunch of my old line mates who did the same thing, we all look terrible and we talk about it now. This guy's got to be like 24 because this is the stuff you do when you're 24 and you think, man, this is cool. And later on, you know what? It might look back and it might be a funny time and place thing, but more often than not... <laughs> it's usually never worth the fight going into somebody else's day like this i understand on principle asking someone to cut their hair especially like a mullet is a very regional dialect at times when it comes to hairstyle and maybe this is something he's worn before maybe this is something other people in your lives have worn and it's not that big of a deal but to jesse's point you did kind of shock drop it in the lead up to a pretty big day here and so i'm not full-blown team bride on this but i understand way more than i expected going into this yeah, not me. I'm, I'm not I'm not team bride on this one at all. Get over it. You know, I, I know it's your day and pick your battles you, because I'll tell you this. Ten years from now, you're not going to give a damn w what that picture looks like. You know, everybody's so worried about, oh, my God, the wedding picture, the wedding picture. It gets put aside after a while, and you barely even look at it after a while. Speaking of someone who's been married for 36 years, 36 incredible years, three incredible kids, there's not many times we go back and say, let's take a look at our wedding pictures. I mean, you just, Jesse, you just kind of move past that. And to pick that battle now and put your future husband in a horrible spot of saying, do I got to now go tell my best friend that he's got to cut his hair? There are so many decisions to be made in a wedding that normally the bride is going to make and I com completely understand that but let's stop nitpicking at the people that are going to be in your wedding because you can go down a list of nitpicking of guys of girls or do you like this about them or that about them that maybe you'd like change that are you really going to ask them to change so I think this is way out of bounds for her Go enjoy your wedding. Have a fun day. You're not going to give a damn about the picture in a decade anyway. Pick your other battles and enjoy your day. This is such boy math. It is just oh, the boy math Ugh. is not mathing. Because let me tell you, how much was asked of you, senior, when you were marrying your beautiful wife who's given you an amazing life and you I'm sure it was a great day. How much did you have to take on during that process, that that process of of, of your wedding? Not a lot, but that doesn't Surely mean every not decision. A lot. No, Surely no, not, not a lot. lot, but that doesn't mean everything she says goes. Now, usually it does, but I mean, she, this bride, put her, one thing my wife didn't do is put me in a position to where now I got to go to my best man, you know, and, and ask and him said, to change something. Shave she your didn't mullet? do that. God forbid. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, God gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers. So let me ask you a question, Jesse. If someone in your way is going to get I want to say this because, Dad, you brought up this point before about is this the, like, pick your battles in this spot. 
I can also turn that gun back on the guy where it's this. And this was a point that a lot of people made is this is in theory, a guy that means a lot to you. If you're the best man in the wedding, someone you're pretty close with, which means you're going to be spending a lot of time with these people later on in the rest of life. Hopefully hope to spend this long, illustrious relationship together. Is this really a battle that you want to fight in the name of this haircut that you're that excited about? Now I, you said it'll grow back. As someone where it didn't grow back, that's not Listen. always the case. Like sometimes the things change, family histories the dictate the outcomes of what goes on from the top of years up. And sometimes when you cut that long, lustrous locks of hair, it doesn't come back. And that's a real bummer. And so this could be baby's last mullet. We have no idea, but yeah, this is also one of those things where it's like, yeah, you know what? This is also a fight that you've got away on that side too. I, I, listen, that part I agree with. At the end of the day, you don't want to make your, your future bride unhappy. God, you know, God forbid, you know, so you just say yes to everything, you know, to make sure everything's fine. Jesse, what would happen if one of your bridesmaids two months before the wedding decided to get this really cool tattoo on her shoulder and you didn't like it? Would you tell her to cover it in the wedding? No, I wouldn't. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. That's so this this tattoo that you openly would not like. You look at this and you said, what if it's my a tattoo God, you got of a tattoo mullet. of Satan on your shoulder. Okay, you know? well, let's be it's real. I hate that None thing. of my bridesmaids tattoo were getting Satan a tattoo a of mullet. Satan on their shoulder. What, whatever, whatever. If she got a tattoo that was going to show that you did not like, would you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to need you to, you're not going to remove it. I'm going to need you to cover that tattoo. You're not going to, are you? No, I'm not. Because that is, tattoos are something that's permanent on your body. Uh, again, no, not. they can so, be removed. Uh, again, so here's here's why I feel so passionately about this. Because every guy I've ever known who has rocked a mullet at one point or another has done it ironically, has done it as some, like this is some kid who's like, what, thinks it'll be funny to like take his shirt off at the reception and just be wearing the like tuxedo suspenders and be like <laughs> fist pumping to Avicii. And that's why I feel strongly okay, about this. You know what? We don't need I to shame him. people for fist pumping to Avicii. All right. For some people, that's their culture. That was a time and place. It's called 2008 to 2013. Please so show some respect. Rest in power. I'm just saying context is important, right? And I know that I'm drunk a lot of conclusions based on this but I just think that if you saw if you this person materialized in this room right now we could interview him about this I think at the end of the conversation you would agree with me that he should cut the mullet that's what I'll say I I think I think it does bear the question I think it does bear the question what percentage of mullets are worn unironically because like you. for years Mike Gundy, I believe that was a mullet that was worn on ironically. It was so long and so there that it became a part of his identity in a way that I don't think was that. Jamie Chadwell, who was at Coastal Carolina for years, I think that was genuinely him to the point where people would talk openly about how other employers were potentially taking that idea and that identity as a negative when they were looking to hire him, even though I think that's ridiculous. So what percentage of mullets are worn unironically? Put that on the poll. I guess I guess I'm just saying the, the way I would end this is I've been married the longest here, 30, 36 years I've been married. And one thing Chris and I have, have found out over time is why did we care so much about this? Or why did we care so much about that? As I said, a few years down the road, 
if if this guy in fact does cut his hair a few years down the road i'm telling you that bride's gonna look at the picture and say man i can't believe i made him cut his hair that was really dumb i mean why, why was i worrying about that so much i just i just i just I, I, this is coming from experience of just how you look back and say, wow, okay, I was young, I made this decision, I was so strong in the decision, and at the end of the day, man, it really didn't matter. I would say well, I, I think, that you're right. Yeah. Uh, I would say that you're right, because I, I got married quite recently, and, I mean, it was a couple years, two or two and a half, and... Two kids ago. Two kids ago, <laughs> and... I don't have, like, I have, the only photos I have framed in my house are the ones of me and my husband. Like, I don't have the photo of our entire wedding party or anything right. like that. But the caveat here is that in the moment, there's a lot going on for a bride, okay? There's a lot of stress, a lot of, like, and I will say the other thing here is we could all be reading this wrong because the context of this situation was that she just DM'd him on Instagram, was like, that better be gone for the wedding. And he was like, no context, no anything. She could have been effing with him. We don't know. But True. I will say I do think, like, you have a point, Senior. It is, you know, a hang-up that she has right now. I think my thing is, like, I've been there as a bride, and it's like, just freaking trim the mullet. Like, do not yeah. push this woman over the edge because she may commit a crime. Well, at the end I, of the day, I think that's exactly what the future husband is going to say. Hey, dude, I know you love the mullet, but let's let's just trim it. I, so while I we are on opposite sides of this, I think by the time this wedding rolls around, he's gonna he's gonna be talked into having this thing smoothed out somehow, some way to make her happy now. Which again, five years from now, they're gonna look back and say. What what the hell was this even an issue for? I would do anything to get an update on this when the wedding actually happens. I would yeah, do anything. Yeah. yeah. This is going to end with the most glorious individual photo shoot of this best man and his mullet <laughs> at the wedding. They are going to stage him at the center the way you would normally stage the bride. The wedding party is going to be carrying him sideways there. He's going to be walking in front of the triangle of people looking back at the entire wedding party there. There's a way to flip this on your head for maximum social clout, which really at the end of the day is what every modern wedding is about anyway. Uh, and while I cannot uh, draw on years of experience being married again i can go back to being the guy who wishes that he had had a cleaner look in his friend's wedding and say everybody involved who i'd imagine is again very young if this is the conversation that's being had about the wedding are all going to look back on this mullet man included and going yeah i kind of wish i just had it high and tight this wedding because everyone yeah. pretty much to a t is uglier with long hair as a man when even chris hemsworth looks better with his haircut when freaking thor looks better with a short haircut that's when you know Fellas, you're not the exception. You're, you're not. not the one. No. You never are. The only the only thing is he looks great in long hair too. He just looked better in short hair. I mean, he's he good looked looking better in no short hair what. though, because yeah. everyone does. Yes. Yeah. You're right. You're Speaking right. of short hair guys, do you you think Justin Fields is going to be the quarterback of the Bears still next year? <laughs> good point. Wow. It certainly seems like it's. The, you know what? Let's put it this way. I'm still probably like we've talked a lot about boy math. I'm still doing enough draft math in my head. Where I'm like, you know what? Top overall pick, considering the prospects that we're talking about here, you could probably flip Justin Fields, probably not for as much as the first overall pick in the draft, but you could probably get a fair amount, especially based on the way that he's played recently. 
like I, I comparing that dad to a situation like the Arizona Cardinals, who are also picking pretty high in this draft, who coming into this season, we were wondering what the future for Kyler Murray was going to look like. He was injured coming into this year and now seems to be playing pretty well. Jonathan Gannon comes out the other day and gives this big vote of confidence for Kyler right. Murray on a local radio show there saying that's our quarterback going into the future. He's very confident in that. The math of having to mortgage capital to trade up to get in range for some of these prospects if you were the cardinals and you were really hell-bent on turning the page versus the bears who are there and are going to have their pick seems different enough to me to still make those situations far apart even if i watched what justin fields did this past weekend and like a lot of other people was pretty odd and have seen the progress that's come during the course of this season that's likely saved matt eberflus's job in chicago and is at the very least ensured that justin fields is going to be playing football and starting for somebody in 2024 yeah i mean this was the talk last year before the draft and i think you and i were on the same page as saying i would keep justin fields in chicago this was last year and not trade uh, to get it to get a first round pick and let's see where he develops. I'm not sure Matt Eberflus is safe. We'll see. Ryan Poles, I think, is the GM, is going to be safe. I think, and this, this is and remember, this is not Matt Eberflus's pick here of of Justin Field. So, I just think while I think he's definitely playing better, I think the die is cast that they're not going to take the chance to go through this again to say let's try and get more out of him i'm a justin fields fan and i agree with you he i i but i also think chicago's looking at we're happy he's playing better now because we think that'll yeah. work better for our trade because we're going to trade him and we're trading him on his upswing and not him you know turning the ball over as much as he had before and he was not the only problem at all in Chicago so I think the die is cast there I think they're going to trade him and I think they're going to again Carolina locked up the number one pick which means Chicago locked up the number one pick Chicago has right now as it stands Chicago has the first and the 10th pick the surprising thing to me Mike was it's Kyler Murray I thought that would be the end of him again he wasn't a Jonathan Gannon guy uh, and I was wondering if they move on. He played seven games this year, nine touchdowns, five interceptions, averaging about 219 passing yards a game in this new offense. So you're one, and they right now, as it stands, would have the fourth pick in the draft. Um, you know, so and we talk about Caleb Williams and Drake May as one and two. Would they want to try and and come up there right now? The second pick is Washington, who would certainly grab a quarterback yep. third pick is new england who would certainly want a quarterback so there are quarterback needy teams right there at the top of the draft so it will be interesting on whether you can get one that you want and which leads me more to why i said if there's two graded first round quarterbacks there'll be four taken in the first round because of the the quarterback hungry teams that are out there especially high up in this draft so we'll see about that um, I, 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 I like Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields could have a nice career somewhere. I just don't think it'll be Chicago. I think they weighed this last year. I don't think they'll weigh it again this year. I think they'll make that move. Uh, I was surprised with Arizona, though. So I thought Arizona would make the move as well. But I have a feeling once they started playing Kyler Murray oh. with that injury protection thing that he had, I thought, yeah. you know what, he may be playing. Well, I was going to say, and there's the, obvi the obvious difference, and that is Kyler Murray is someone that signed a very large, very lucrative deal, second right. contract already. Justin Fields is still on that rookie deal, and so the math is certainly a lot different there. 
I know we've talked a lot about the role of contracts play in this one that pertains to something like Russell Wilson. But right. for Kyler Murray, too, it's also dead in this draft, and it's what makes the top of this draft so interesting. Is all the teams you mentioned, you're right, there's a lot of quarterback need there. And so if you're a team like the Arizona Cardinals who says, all right, we think we still got something. We got this guy under contract. We're going to be paying him a bunch of money anyway. And he looks pretty good. And I think importantly enough, Dad, we haven't heard anything out of there about nope. the negative Kyler Murray stuff nope. that popped up before, right? You're all right. questions about the homework clause or any questions about leadership or maturity or anything like that. It's all disappeared with this new staff right now. And Jonathan Gannon, again, came out and did what you're supposed to do, the positive PR of saying that's our guy. But we also see plenty of people balk on that to keep their options open. And he didn't do that. And so if you've erased a lot of that stuff behind the scene, what you still have is an immensely talented and a quarterback who's been productive enough to earn that second contract. And now if you've got the opportunity in a draft that we're going to talk about a lot is incredibly talent rich at positions like offensive tackle at positions like wide receiver you've got a real option to make your situation a lot better around that quarterback if you are a team that's comfortable betting on it going forward in a way that puts you with a pretty clear pretty clear runway considering what you talked about is the need sitting right above you for quarterback I'm telling you right now, real quickly, Mike, I mean, the leading receiver in Arizona is their tight end, their second-year tight end. They are primed for one of the big-time wide receivers in this draft, no doubt about it, if they stick with Kyler Murray. We'll take a look at the future of Kyler Murray and of what we talked about before. Michael Penix Jr. getting ready to come out in the draft with Nate Tice coming up here next. Hey, Dad. What do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. All right, as promised, very excited to bring in our buddy, Nate Tice. You guys can check him out over at the Athletic Football Show podcast. Phenomenal job, as always, writing over at Yahoo, uh, former Wisconsin quarterback, one of the best guys covering the game, breaking it down, especially uh, on the X's and O's perspective. And uh, someone that I also woke up very early this morning because <laughs> I had botched the time I told him to come on with us here. So, Nate, thank you for uh, overcoming bad coaching on this side. It was okay. No, no, it was, you got me, you got me guided. 
to the right direction. And I, I'm telling you, it was fate. You were texting me right at the same time. My my 13, 14 month year old son came to wake us up. So yeah, I felt like it was just very fitting that no matter what, I was going to have a bald man wake me up this morning. It was either well, you or, or my 14 year old or a 14 month. Yeah, well, well done. So, well, let, let's continue on what, what Mike and I were talking about, and that's the future of two quarterbacks with or without their teams. And that's, you, you can start with Justin Fields and then uh, back that up then with Kyler Murray. Oh, man. Uh, man, just Fields has made it Chicago a very interesting team, <laughs> even outside the number one pick. I, I think he's just been playing phenomenal football this year, uh, uh, especially after he came back from injury. After we had the baguette show, bagnet show uh, for yeah. a few weeks, <laughs> Tyson baguette. Uh, uh, yeah, except I don't know if he's French or not. But uh, but he after that show, Fields has come back and has shown what I was hoping to see when he was coming out of Ohio State. Yes, this is the best surroundings he's ever had, which has helped a lot. Um, but you're seeing that creative flair, but you're also seeing more sustainability from the pocket operating from there, actually going through progressions, working the middle of the field, which I think is the big thing you want to see from NFL quarterbacks. Um, I I have no idea what Chicago's going to do. Um, I'm a huge fan of Drake May in this draft, uh, and I like Caleb Williams. So they have a very interesting discussion or discussion they're going to have next couple months. Um, and on, on the other side, I think Kyler Murray has had some ups and downs, came back well against Atlanta, had some downs. Maybe the Steelers game had some good moments and then some down moments. I thought he played fantastic against the Eagles. The Eagles kind of are, you know, rookie mode for quarterbacks right now. Like the Eagles defense, it's kind of, you know, you can slow yeah. the lower the difficulty when you go against them. Uh, but I, I think Kyler, man, especially if they, they win those games and they kind of get the decision made for them as far as quarterback wise. Uh, you know, and I actually think how he's playing. I love the Cardinals offense coordinator, Drew Petzing, what he's done this entire year. I want to see Kyler with him more. And I want to see them maybe a little Marvin Harrison or Malik neighbors or Roman Dunzier dropped in onto that offense. And I think baby, we got a stew going pretty soon. <laughs> it is. Uh, well, you mentioned some of the draft prospects here. I know you put out a mock draft pretty recently, so you got a lot of April on your mind right now. And, and you have been someone that's been beating the Drake May drum uh, pretty yes. soundly here for a while. What in your mind separates him when we're starting to grade between him and Caleb Williams for the number one overall spot? They're both fantastic prospects. So I always want to just start with that. I, I consider these guys both true top 10 graded quarterbacks. I, I think that's always a distinction you have to make is quarterbacks get inflated just from their grades. Like even a guy like Dane, Jane Daniels, I have as a kind of a lower half first round grade, it's going to get inflated. It's going to go up. It's going to go. He's going to rise to the top half of the round. But May to me is the prototype. He is 230. He's six, four. He runs a legit four, five and change. He's the best scrambling quarterback in college football or the second best. I believe it was. He has the second highest first downs per scramble rate in, in the entire college football last year. He had second generated most uh, generated the second most EPA on scrambles. So he's six four two thirty, can run. And on top of that, he has a cannon of an arm that he actually knows how to guide. Uh, he, he can throw underneath accurately. He can throw and he attacks the middle of the field, um, which again I think is that is the three pointer for quarterbacks is throwing over the middle of the field. It's where the yak is. It's where the juiciest areas are. But it's also the hardest area to attack. Um, and he does it already, which is always just like, check. Uh, he's willing to launch the ball deep. He's also tough. He has some creative flair to his game. He checks a lot of boxes for me and does it exceptional. Um, I think in the one thing that I 
going into this year that I want to see him improve, he's improved upon, which is some of his pocket stuff. He doesn't bail back in the pocket, which I know, Golik, you would love to hear as a former offensive lineman. You know, just like he doesn't bail back and away from pressure like he's doing a Madden drop. He's stepping up and he's moving the pocket, trying to attack downfield. So I, I think just his aggression, his size, his ability to create, but his ability to w play within structure is just, those are all things like a modern prototype elite quarterback does. And I think that's what he is. So, you know, we, we've talked about Caleb Williams and Drake May as one, two, I mean, the entire year. And, and I'm going to say this, and I want to preface it by saying I'm not saying it because of the last game. I have said this about Michael Penix for over a year, that I think he's next in line there. I, and, and I know he doesn't have a first-round grade, and I, all I do is I just go off play. I watch this kid look downfield. I watch him slide in the pocket. He can run occasionally and, and make himself a little dangerous. I love how he keeps his eyes downfield. I never think he's going to escape, and all of a sudden he does escape. And his accuracy, when I talk about accuracy and completion, it's more along the lines of not that it's a completion, it's a completion to where the receiver can continue running. You know, the receivers love catching a ball from that type of quarterback. I don't understand why he has been rated down. And I know this game will help him, and I'm not basing yeah. stuff off of one game. I, I like the full package here. Where do you think he ends up? Uh, and like you said, I had a day two grade on him for most of this year, and he's making it really hard <laughs> because, uh, again, uh, it's you have to be, especially as an evaluator, you have to be, of course, fair. And if they showed this thing where I'm like this whole year, I'm like, he doesn't really throw well under pressure. He doesn't move in the pocket that well. And then he just does it against a top 10 defense on a national stage. It's like, all right, well, you got to that's another data point for this. And I think, too, is that and you were talking about you talked about before the season or this past year, so much of evaluation in the middle of the season. is so up and down. You're like, you know, if you watch the Arizona State game for him, you're like, oh, yeah. yeah, OK, that's the grades. Right. But then if I watched the Oregon Pac-12 game or Washington played Oregon, I watched this game. I watched a game early in the year, the first month when no one could guard these guys. It's like, OK, what what do I weigh? I, I think he's made it so hard that. I went from like having him like, oh, yeah, I look at him as the third round that now I'm like I'm arguing from him as quarterback four and uh, medicals is going to be a huge thing for him because all the knees and all the things that he has yeah. had. But he does things that, again, I if it's against my football dogma to not like like this, he's aggressive. I love quarterbacks that bomb go bombs away. I always think it's better for the guy to go deep and then rein it back in than the other way around. Hey, can you? He launch it for us? Could you could you push the ball a little bit? Like he does so he does the things that I want. So I, I'm with you. That's where I, I went from like, oh yeah, waving him away, waving him away, waving him away to like if he has another game, especially against this Michigan defense, which is a how they run their defense is like a very NFL style throw every I I call it kaleidoscopic kind of defense. They run everything. If he answers that question, because that's a big one I have, how does he progress against a changing right. picture? That's every quarterback. That's one. I, if he checks it, though, that drum won't get any quieter because he's deserved to get the hype. Yeah, I, I, I think you're spot on with that. That matchup of, of coordinators is going to be incredible. That matchup of quarterback against defense is going to be incredible. Nate, only about a minute left. One thing off that I just wanted to ask you, a lot of people made the comparison because of that big game boom to C.J. Stroud from last year. How apt do you think that is in terms of the importance one game can have, especially seeing what we've seen from C.J. now? Yeah, it's... It, doesn't hurt, but I also want to shy people away from grading them in the, yeah. in the same uh, breath. Uh, Stroud, yeah. to me, last year was, a, again, like a true top 10 pick, uh, as opposed to like a day two guy that might sneak in. 
And I also think Stroud showed those flashes before. And I, I think this is the new narrative that we're talking about. Oh, yeah, the Georgia game. And of course, he, he played phenomenal. But there's other games that season, Iowa, Michigan, even Northwestern, where he threw like 80 yards. Like those games, because he had it was asked to use his legs and be the dude. That was the indicators were already there. And I think that was just the, the magnum opus at the end. But I think for Penix, it's the other way around. <laughs> there we go. All right. I think, it's, I think it's worthwhile context. I think you're absolutely right. But it was hard not to take the uh, low-hanging fruit coming off what was an absolute banger of a game there. Nate, thank you for letting us wake you up alongside your wonderful son. <laughs> We're glad to be in his company. We're glad to be in yours, brother. Appreciate the time. Thank you guys so much for having me. That was a lot of fun. Thanks, Nate. Appreciate Again, it. Again, guys, check my, out Nate, my, the athletic football show. Awesome podcast. Always good information from Nate. And I still say, Mike, no matter what grades are, we know grades will be out there and everything. By the time we get picks, there's going to be four quarterbacks going in the first round, whether they deserve to go in the first round or not. It certainly does seem like it, because like you mentioned, if he's got him as QB4 and you've already talking about leaking him up there, I only imagine coming off the championship game how high the fire could rise. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. So guys, at 5-11, the Titans are on the precipice here of their second losing season under Mike Vrabel, okay? About to finish dead last in the division while the Jags, Colts, Texans, all 9-7 fight for first place. So Vrabel was asked about what his team basically has left to play for here in Week 18. Because it sucks to lose, Gentry. Trey, ever need to show you anything? Uh, Did you have another thought or no? I'm just curious. Why? Well, it it you, sucks. Losing. Awful. That's why I want to win. Because you don't sleep. You want to win for the players that bust their tail. That's it. It sucks, period. Okay. <laughs> So since Vrabel took over in 2018, guys, Tennessee went to the playoffs three consecutive years, 2019 to 2021, finished as the AFC South champ back-to-back -back years, 2020, 2021. So obviously he's straight up not having a good time right now. And 
personally, I love when coaches answer questions like this because he's like, what do you want me to say? It sucks to lose. No, duh. <laughs> you know what this tells me is Mike Vrabel is threatened by Dan Campbell. And here's what I mean by that. Mike Vrabel has heard now all offseason since Dan Campbell has burst onto the scene that in the NFL coaching cage match, Dan Campbell is now king of the hill. That used to be Mike Vrabel's territory. He used to be the ass kicker and the glass chewer that we talked about in those conversations. And if you guys remember, last time on Dragon Ball Z, who else was a little frustrated after a loss and got a little bit snippy with the media? None other than Dan Campbell. After the Dallas game this weekend, he went up in front of the media and got asked if he was frustrated and he said, would you be frustrated right now i don't like losing dave that's what happened we lost and that bothers me you know it bothers me i don't like having the l so that's frustrated and then he apologized because dan campbell is at his yeah. court an incredibly kind man who realized he didn't need to yell at that reporter but this felt like mike vrabel trying to do his best dan campbell impression i think dan's in his head and 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 vrabel apologized for his language after uh so he apologized as well listen i have been in this situation a few times where you're playing what what is considered meaningless games because you're not going anywhere and i've talked about it from the player side and the coach's side a player side what are you playing for where are you on the totem pole on that team contract no contract playing for that team playing for the next team how are you preparing you still showing up when you normally do you still watching film how are you taking care of yourself you know from the coach's standpoint how do you end the season and he said one of the truest things out there, Mike, that I completely agree with because you hear it every year. Well, you get that big win in that last game and that springboards you to next year. That's a bunch of garbage. And he said it. He said, there is nothing if we win this game that all of a sudden we show up for off-season workouts and we say, yeah, that win is going to start to carry us this year. That's a myth. That's ridiculous. It does nothing. But what you can do, by the way, and you play Jacksonville, is you cannot Jacksonville cannot make the playoffs. If you beat them, there are scenarios where Jacksonville is not in the playoffs. Now we'll see what we know by the time you know that I believe this is an early game. So between a one o'clock or four o'clock, and I'm doing the last game, which is Buffalo in Miami, of how everything falls. But Jacksonville could be knocked out of the playoffs with a loss. So that's a motivating factor as well when you're playing with. Is that the actually a motivating factor, Dad? Like as someone you've mentioned yes. over and over, you played a lot of meaningless games at the end of the yes. season. Did you take pride in that? If you're in, especially in your division, and you know how they match up these division games, which I love, when you can knock off a division foe, it's different if it's someone you rarely play. There's a little bit of satisfaction in that. But when it's your division guys you know team you play twice a year that you can say yeah we helped knock them out of the playoffs yes there is there definitely is now it does come down to as i mentioned before individual player motivation on what's what's got you going but yes when it's within the division there is absolute joy in saying you knocked your guy your, your one of your division foes out Okay, because I, 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 we do hear that all the time, too. It's kind of like the springboard yes. idea where everyone always says the idea of playing spoiler. And I, I think part of these conversations always undervalues, like you said, just the inherent competitive nature of these players. Yeah. A lot of them are playing for yes. their future livelihoods in this sport. Yes. It's the job. It's And once you get out there in the white lines, it's self-preservation. There's absolutely some brother-in-law that goes on when you've got two teams, especially, that are just trying to get to the offseason. Like, there are guys that will make sure like, hey, let's take care of each other in certain spots when we can in this game so that we all get to one, two, three Cancun well, and not have to one, two, three limp to Cancun. 
if there are two teams playing that have nothing to play for, you are a thousand percent correct because the one thing, and so one thing, and you know this as a player too, you never think about it, but it's always in the back of your mind. Imagine being on a team that's not playing for anything and you get hurt in this last game. It's like the preseason games when you're trying to stay healthy to go to the regular season. The worst thing in the world is all of a sudden the offseason becomes rehab. I, I, I can't even begin to tell you, and again, Mike, you know as a player, it is the worst. Instead of going into your normal off-season routine to prepare for the next year, you're rehabbing an injury. So while, again, you do not think about it, but I guarantee you it's in the back of your mind, I need to get out of this game clean. I need to get to the postseason. You know, I, I, I know we're not going anywhere, but I need to get out clean in this game. Yeah, it's self-preservation in a very real way because we talked about again for the future of your job for a lot of these guys it's the you don't yeah. make the club in the tub moniker you're not going to have as good an opportunity to do that if you're spending the whole offseason trying to just get back onto the field not necessarily do the work there for the titans it is an interesting juncture for them going into this offseason too because dad we look at the moves this team has made recently you go all the way back to last year the aj brown trade at the nfl draft where they bring in Traylon burks after that and it's not been the one you know it was never going to be a one-to-one -one replacement full stop it was a similar body right. type a lot of people made that easy kind of ham-fisted work in there that didn't work out you're obviously making the transition at quarterback now as you've moved on and started to go and you know get your rookie some reps under center here and defensively we know they let one of their leaders go in the middle of the season head on over to philadelphia all these changes have been made there the offensive line attrition's built up derrick henry looks like he could be on his last days right. in tennessee so I, I do wonder because mike vrabel has always been one of the macgyver coaches he's been the mike tomlin-esque figurehead coach where you look up and no matter what's been going on there they find their way into the postseason and now they've got a chance to really reinvent themselves in a way that I, I don't know i'll be very curious to watch they're a really interesting team because they're in a we know an infinitely well, winnable division that's going to only get more difficult as cj stroud and the texans continue to come online i'm with you it's, it's how they rebuild this because vrabel what took over an 18 made the playoffs 19 20 21 you know when they we were kept the one saying seed wow, how, two years ago yeah of like how far can they go with Tannehill a quarterback but you have king henry at running back and what can they do now Will Levis, he, unless he can't go with his ankle, it's going to be Levis. If not, it'll be Tannehill. You mentioned Derrick Henry. You're not sure where. Your leading receiver was the 31-year-old DeAndre Hopkins, who you got this year. The next, the next leading receiver was a tight end, and after that was a running back. So, you know, you need to – where are you freshening up that team, a team that's known for Mike, Mike Vrabel and defenses – as well so in a division that i don't think is a great division by any stretch of the imagination and they're woefully in last place in that division everybody else has nine wins they have five so it's a <clears throat> it's an okay division that they are way at the bottom of so they have some building to do in this no doubt about it it's an okay division where they've got the least amount of like concrete direction though right because in jacksonville at this point it's still trevor lawrence's show and you're trying to build there you're trying to get another year of doug peterson under your belt indianapolis is going to have anthony richardson coming right. back next year and they've been able to cobble together a really strong season in shane steichen's first year the texans before injuries robbed the offense of every meaningful playmaker including their quarterback for a stretch were the talk of the nfl and so everyone else has the arrow pointing forward in 
some way. And you mentioned we've seen some positive stuff from Will Levis as we've gone. We've ridden the roller coaster a bit with him, but there's a lot more direction and shaping that this roster still needs relative to some of the concrete evidence we've got for the other teams in the South right now. So that's going to be what we keep an eye on in the future. Coming up next, we'll take a look back at New Year's Eve and one group that decided to celebrate the occasion the exact right way. All right, time to finish off the show the way we always do. This, that, and the third. Three quick stories to send you off on into the rest of your day. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review us. Leave us a five-star rating and check us out here live Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern. We are here every day. Uh, and if you miss any of that live for whatever reason, you can't be here, you didn't tell your friends, hey, get up and watch Gojo and Golok from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, you can get us wherever you get your podcast, catch up on our great guests like Charlotte Wilder, co-host of Oddball with Amin El Hassan here on the DraftKings Network, and Nate Tice, you can catch on the Athletic Football Show podcast, doing a great job breaking down quarterbacks and every manner of prospects there, both them there or right here on YouTube as soon as we get done here. Guys, Let's get to this. Um, we talked a lot about New Year's Eve heading into today and people's different habits and celebrations in that. Um, well, we saw one group here decide to celebrate the New Year's ball drop by actually lowering a Taco Bell sign in downtown Tucson to ring in the new year. The group used a crane to lower the actual lit up Taco Bell sign down and coincided it with the ball drop. There was a firework show there. Dan, I cannot think of a more appropriate way that I would want. If I was going to stay up late to celebrate New Year's, I want to do it with fourth meal. I can tell you that right now, brother. Your, your crew of friends in your relationship with Taco Bell is almost unhealthy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it is it is. Stunning not almost on you and your your group that love Taco Bell and ate so much Taco Bell and just your fascination with Taco Bell. Oh, it I mean, almost worried. He's me. not talking about just in college. I left the NFL PA no. party at the Super Bowl in Miami with my Kyle yeah. Rudolph, my buddy Dane Chris, who's a longtime listener of this podcast, and Kyle's wife Jordan. We left the NFL PA party to go and have a sit down dinner at a Taco Bell in Miami. Yeah. Live Moss, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Never gonna and listen, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Taco Bell. I like Taco Bell, but you, you guys are obsessed. Absolutely obsessed. Still never had it. Still never had it. God, you know, Jesse, Jesse we need you, one show. We need to go through a list of things that we've already done. The Pop-Tart thing, which was stunning to me. Yeah. You haven't had Taco Bell. We need to sit down in, in a in a after a show meeting or pre-show or whatever and talk about some of the other things you haven't tried and try them on air. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think I should wait until I'm not pregnant to try Taco Bell for the first time. I disagree. I think it's great fuel for the baby. Oh, okay. Yes. Do you do you yes. want your baby to come out living Manos? I don't want. Is that what you want for your child? I don't want to Baja blast this baby. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the number one thing you do want to do. Baja blast is arguably the greatest gift that store has given us. Live Moss. Oh, Jesse, we've got to come completely on. reframe this right now. Oh, all right. Well, I'm scared. <laughs> Baja blast this baby. Not a thing. <laughs> 
that I thought we were going to say on this. But I also didn't think that we were going to get to talk about a college team getting beat by over 140 points. So, Jesse, why don't we get to that? Yeah, I had, I couldn't believe this because this is the second time in the last few months that we've talked about um, a religious school, like a like a, a Bible study school, being getting an epic biblical beatdown, if you will. Oh. So the Grambling women beat College of Biblical Studies 159 to 18. That marks the biggest Marjorie of victory, 141 points, in D1 women's basketball history. The previous uh, margin of victory was set in 2018 when Savannah State beat Wesleyan, Georgia, 155 to 26. So, yeah, beatdown of biblical proportions. What can I say? So, I mean, what I want to know here is it was 34 to nothing before College of Biblical Studies scored their first point, 82 to 10 at halftime. We found out that this college has, as of a couple of years ago, 23 full-time students and 134 part-time students. I'd like to know, Mike, how does Grambling even schedule a team like this? How do they even find this team? And how do they even have five? I guess that you can find five people to, to put on a basketball uniform and go play and get your, your butts kicked, which they did. Uh, this one blows my mind. I mean, I, I don't know how you get them on the schedule. Yeah, I mean, and it's not even like we're at the beginning of college basketball season anymore because the beginning of college yeah. basketball season where you've actually got like exhibition games where I get to learn about, you know, when Notre Dame's playing all the different colleges in the Midwest that I've never heard of before that get this opportunity to come and hopefully usually get their doors blown off at Purcell. Uh, yeah, I don't know. understand how this one happens. I also want to know, like, because – I obviously took a biblical ass beating on the biggest stage of my life playing in the national championship game. And ah. like, I always say like, you get a lot of time to process. Like I got to process my entire career and my finished totality in college football, like the middle of the third quarter. So I got done with the game. There wasn't a lot of crying or anything like that. It's like, all right, like we still got a stocked party full of booze that we were going to drink one way or the other. I'm covered in loser confetti. Let me at least get drunk while this happens. I want to know at what point in this game, they were comfortably numb where it's like, all right, this clear is a bad time so we can just sit here and like it's not going to affect me anymore i'm starting to think about like all right like what labs do i have coming up here did i miss a lecture this last week can i maybe get started like i saw in the uh georgia florida state game apparently a couple of the georgia players went live on instagram on the sideline during that game towards oh. the end it was such a big blowout so i want to know if you either had that going on in the grambling sideline or if on the other sideline for the biblical college there were just people like openly starting to like look at their homework for the next week or maybe make appointments for when they were going to get back instead of having to deal with that game probably i would uh, guess yeah it, it is amazing you're right of what goes through your mind uh, and, and now, I have not been a part of a situation like this. I know you have with, with Alabama. I've been in blowouts before. And you're right, your mind does start to wander a little bit. But was it, in, was it when they saw Grambling on the schedule they knew this was going to happen? Yeah. Was it going to be in the <laughs> pregame layup line that they thought they're going to get smoked like this? I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I, I'm, it, it, I'm still amazed, not that a college like this exists, but they have sports there. That I wonder what, how many sports they do have there and how they do it. What are they in a conference? You know, what other schools are in the College of Biblical Studies, you know, schedule? 
or are they just well you yeah know, maybe they just weren't showing the good plays because they wanted to save them for conference play for conference and so this play. is a little bit of playing possum against a bigger opponent they didn't <laughs> want to get that going here uh i'm not sure what conference in the national christian college athletic association they play in and this will probably be the last time that we ever talk about them again what we need to talk about now is the third wow. and a recent trend that i am really enjoying here of old cartoon characters becoming public domain and being turned into horror movies we saw it happen with winnie the pooh before and yep. now apparently jesse we are getting this with one of the earliest mickey mouse uh drawings and renderings the steamboat willie mickey mouse has now become public domain and we are all going to be better for it yeah so this happened on monday so copyright expires it's already the focus of two horror films so monday just hours after it entered the public domain a trailer for mickey's mousetrap dropped on youtube um another yet to be titled film was announced tuesday so obviously we saw this happen with the with the uh winnie the pooh slasher movie that yes. happened it was winnie the pooh blood and honey um yeah. terrifying stuff honestly terrifying I, I, stuff it really is yeah winnie the pooh they they became public domain in 20 in 2022 just last year so that movie came out and the Mickey's mousetrap is actually, it's its like a human with a Mickey Mouse mask on. Yeah. So can you imagine if a younger kid sees this and then goes to Disney World or Disneyland and sees Mickey walking around? I mean, thats they're going to scare the crap out of him or they're going to go and, and, and tackle Mickey and, and start to beat him up. I mean... What this is going to cause to the youth of the world? Well, I mean, I mean, what kid that you were having of Disney World age would you be allowing to watch this movie? Yeah, exactly. This kid—it's not for kids. Listen, it's rated R. Hey, listen, some some young kids, you know, they can get a hold of something, or maybe they have an older brother and say, "Hey, Timmy, come and watch. Come away. We're going to Disney World. Come and see what Mickey Mouse is all about." Yee, 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 yee. You know, just scare the crap out of the kid before you go. Honestly, I can see right. a big brother doing that. That could, you would do that to Jake, wouldn't you, Gojo? You would. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. You got to put there him on game here, slash scar them for life as early as humanly possible. If you uh, were thankfully not scarred for life by this podcast and this show, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review it, leave it a five-star rating, and check us out here live 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday, uh, until the next old-timey cartoon becomes public domain. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.